You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Kara Ruda on the show with me. She has a phenomenal new book. It's called Somebody's Home. And if you listen to uh, to Kara's last appearance on the show last year, um, you are already a fan of her work. And if you've never heard uh, from Kara before, I know that uh, by the end of today, you'll be um, a fan because this book is is a phenomenal book. I loved it so much. I know everyone else is going to love it, too. Welcome back to the show, Kara. Thanks so much, Hank. It's so great to be with you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so, Kara, you know, we've we live in interesting times now. Um, <laughs> you know, it used to be uh, that when when you had a new book uh, come out that. uh, uh you know, the uh, there were certain things that you could expect from uh, like book tours and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, and COVID has has made it uh, an interesting time to to release a book. Um, how has it been going for you and your family? Is everyone staying well? And 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 how has this been, you know, launching a new book and, and all of that in the uh, in the interesting times we find ourselves? Yeah, you know, it's uh, this will be my second pandemic release, actually. So the next wife came out um, last year during the pandemic. And um, I was hopeful, you know, we all were, that by January of this year, it would for sure be past us. <laughs> and uh, all of my, uh, I would say about three fourths of my launch events were scheduled originally to be in person. And now they're all virtual, unfortunately. But Fortunately, on the, on the flip side, let's look at the bright side. We are all now able to do virtual events. And I think, although we, I don't prefer them to being actually being able to stand in the room with readers and talk about books and go to the library and go to the bookstore and all of that, at least we can do this. And at least we can be together virtually. And last, my last um, book, Next Wife, I was, I think it was in like five different states across the country on launch day or that week because of because of zoom and the ability to do virtual events so in some instances it's it, it allows the author to be more places than i could have been physically yeah some some really interesting things have come out of kind of the upsetting the uh the norm uh we've we've figured out new ways of doing things of connecting with more people and um though things may never be exactly the same uh, you know, maybe we'll come out of this with uh, having learned something at least. Oh, I think so. I do. And I, I do think that it is about connecting, you know, authors and readers and bookstores and libraries together. And if we can just keep doing that and and technology has its limitations, obviously, and like, I guess the, the tangible things, that's that's what we all miss. But it is such a blessing to still be able to get together. 100%. 100%. Kara, um, you have in uh, a, a niche that your books, uh, your novels, um, kind of fall in with this domestic suspense, um, thriller, uh, kind of genre, but you didn't begin there. 
um, you, you actually began writing uh, nonfiction books and, and doing motivational speaking and, and, right. and different <laughs> community work like that. Um, how does one find themselves? Uh, what, what was the journey like from motivational speaker to writing the kinds of novels that you do, do now? Because I understand that you, you always wanted to be a novelist. Um, but you have an interesting path that, that got you to where you are now. What, what was what was it uh, what was it that that drove you through the path the way that you did? Yeah, and you know it's 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 interesting. I, I look back at it myself and I'm like, well, that's a, a strange path, a strange <laughs> way to get where you're going. But you know, the circuitous the, paths are always it, the most interesting. You know, they are, and I think no matter what you're plan is in life you always are going to find yourself on a circuitous path right because you kind of go you got to roll with the punches and the changes and what life throws at you but I did know from uh, third grade that I wanted to be a novelist I I wrote a letter to Robert McCloskey of Midway for Duckling so I, I mean I, I knew that I wanted to do that but of course like you said my first published book was a nonfiction book for women entrepreneurs and that happened because I was in marketing for most of my career. And I, I was did a lot of marketing to women and working with women entrepreneurs. So that's that's what the first book was. So it was really you incorporated eight essentials for women entrepreneurs. And what I didn't know when I got the book published was that when you publish a nonfiction book, you've got to go on the speaking circuit. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh no. <laughs> to hire a speech coach and go out and, and talk about putting your dreams into action and, you know, living the life of your dreams. And that's when I realized to myself, like, you know, Kara, you're saying this to all these people across the country, but you haven't done the one dream that you've always wanted, which was to become a novelist. So I did finally sit down to your point and write that first novel. And it was based on my agent's advice to make it similar to my book for women entrepreneurs kind of um, tips and tricks. So my first story was Here Home Hope and it has a woman, Kelly, who's having a midlife crisis and she goes through the story and, you, and she kind of writes down things to change. She makes the things to change list, which is very similar to what was in Real You Incorporated, Eight Essentials for Women Entrepreneurs. Very hopeful, a little bit of darkness, not much, not much darkness, but from there, from Here Home Hope onward, I just kept getting darker and darker and darker stories. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about me, but I think maybe in my subconscious, um, I was kind of peeling away layers to, to become what I really do think is, um, you know, I'm fascinated with what goes on beneath the surface of seemingly perfect lives. I'm a product of the suburbs and I've always lived in the suburbs and the whole notion of um, things aren't what they seem really, really fascinates me. So um, as someone who began in marketing, um, the, you know, if you're I, I, I hate to to say it this way, but it's it's going to sound bad the way I say it. But just just hear me out. You know, as uh, as, as writers, as someone who who thinks of themselves as purely artistic, um, when you start thinking about sales and and connecting uh, with with marketing, you start thinking of that's kind of the dirty side of business. I want to be. Um, I want to be pure, a pure artist and let other people deal with the the sales and all of that. Um, but, you know, we know that that's not actually the way the world works. And um, what did you learn from from your sales and marketing experience that now helps you connect with readers in a in a tangible way? What did you learn that then helps you 
as a writer to know that you're hitting the right notes and that you're connecting with readers the way that we ultimately want to. Right. Well, from when my first novel here, Home Hope, came out in 2011 to now, things have changed considerably, like the different platforms you can use, the social media, you know, taking over everything. But I think the basics of it is still the same when you're talking about book marketing. It is you have to be willing to put yourself out there to talk about your book and to uh, make a connection with readers. And it a lot of people, it does feel disingenuous. To me, it just is part of the job, right? It's a, it's, it's a blessing to have a book out in the world and to try to, to try to get that book into the hands of as many readers as possible. That's part of the author's job too, in my opinion. And whether you're self-publishing or small press publishing or vanity press publishing or with the you know, big publisher, you're still expected to help out with all of that. And I think the more that you are involved in promoting your work, the more you understand who your readers are and how you're connecting to them. And I always learn about um, more about my books and my characters when I'm out speaking about them or connecting with readers about my work. It's almost like you create these characters and they come alive in the book to you, the author, and then they go out in the world and then people all of a sudden fill in, like they can see them from the side or they can see them from behind. And, and I always learn more doing that as well. An Innocent Client, the first book in the Joe Dillard legal thriller series. A preacher is found brutally murdered in a Tennessee motel room. A beautiful, mysterious young girl is accused. In this best-selling debut, criminal defense lawyer Joe Dillard has become jaded over the years as he's tried to balance his career against his conscience. Savvy but cynical, Dillard wants to quit doing criminal defense, but he can't resist the chance to represent someone who might actually be innocent. His drug-addicted sister has just been released from prison, and his mother is succumbing to Alzheimer's, but Dillard's commitment to the case never wavers despite the personal troubles and professional demands that threaten to destroy him. Chosen by BookBub readers as one of the top 100 crime novels of all time, get started on this great series with an innocent client where it all started. Read for free with Kindle Unlimited or buy it in paperback or audiobook. An Innocent Client by Scott Pratt. Things We Never Got Over the new book by best-selling author Lucy Score. Bearded bad boy Barber Knox refers to live his life the way he takes his coffee, alone, unless you count his basset hound Waylon. Knox doesn't tolerate drama even when it comes in the form of a stranded runaway bride. Naomi wasn't just running away from her wedding. She was riding to the rescue of her estranged twin to knock him out Virginia, a rough-around-the-edges town where disputes are settled the old-fashioned way with fist and beer, usually in that order. Too bad for Naomi, her evil twin hasn't changed at all. After helping herself to Naomi's car and cash, Tina leaves her with something unexpected. The niece Naomi didn't know she had. Now she's stuck in town with no car, no job, no plan, and no home, with an 11-year-old going on 30 to take care of. There's a reason Knox doesn't do complications or high-maintenance women, especially not the romantic ones. But since Naomi's life imploded right in front of him, the least he can do is help her out of her jam. And just as soon as she stops getting into new trouble, he can leave her alone and get back to his peaceful, solitary life. 
At least that's the plan until the trouble turns to real danger. Things We Never Got Over, the new book by best-selling author Lucy Score. Kara, people that listen to the show know that um, one of the things that I love to ask people is, um, well, I'm, I'm fascinated with where stories begin and what the the moment of creation is, because, it, you know, as as we now hold somebody's home, your new book in our hands and and this book began somewhere um, and, you know, it, it and every story is different. Every every writer is different. Um, you know, when at one moment, nothing about this book existed in any form or fashion. And then, you know, maybe a, a character, maybe it was Tom Dean or Julie Jones walked onto the stage of your mind and you're like, well, who are they and what, you know, what are they about? Or, or maybe you, um, you know, read an, a news article or something and it started the what if game uh, playing. But what was that moment of that, that spark that happened that then this book was born out of? Yeah, I, I love that question too. It's um, with with somebody's home, and as you probably know from reading it, it's uh, pretty dark. It was born out of that time in the um, for early days of the pandemic when um, we were all at home and we didn't know where this thing was coming from, and you know we were washing vegetables and then you know just trying to stay safe. And kind of the the, the thought that what if your home wasn't safe? You know, what if the place that you retreated to, to start over to, to, you know, like hold on, um, had an inherent danger. And that's kind of where, where the notion started. And it also started with Tom Dean, to your point, Tom is a very unhappy 20 something guy. He's, he's kind of a lost soul. He's living in the back of his parents in his carriage house behind his parents' house. But suddenly his parents have sold the home and moved on and he's still there and he has this weekend to move out. And so the notion that the place and and then Julie popped into my head next. And so this is a mother um, finally deciding to take control of her life and has bought this house across town from where she's been living with her husband in a loveless marriage. And she brings her teenage daughter and they're going to start over in this home. Unfortunately, she let uh, Tom have the weekend to move out. And that's kind of where the where the whole story begins. And I think it did, it, it was just, it's not about the pandemic, but it's kind of about that sense of belonging and feeling safe and, and where do you feel safe? You know, that it's really interesting, Kara, because um, we, we talk sometimes about why we love these darker stories. And, um, you know, maybe it's something about facing um, the the darkness of life or things that we fear, but we face it from the comfort of our uh, safe and cozy reading chair, you know, or, yeah. or you yeah. know, and you know. that and that the story ends right, and and you, right. you have a somewhat happy ending. In my books, sometimes they're not like gloriously happy endings, but they're re- resolved, and so everything's wrapped up. I do. I was just speaking to another author about that, like why are dark stories um, particularly you know, people love to read them right now. And I think it is something about like, you can sit in your cozy chair and it's not happening to you, but it it's kind of, you, you have control over it. You can close the story if you want to stop reading. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm seeing the pandemic kind of show up in, in unique and, and odd way. And I mean, odd in a good way, um, ways in fiction. Now, some people, um, I've, I've met a couple of authors and it's only been a couple 
who just directly address COVID in their books and people are wearing masks and, and that becomes a plot point at, uh, of, of sorts. Um, but those are only a couple of people that I know that have, have just addressed it directly. Most people are kind of like you did here, uh, have let it kind of seep into the story, but in uh, kind of non-direct ways. Um, they, it's it's more informed by the pandemic instead of addressing the pandemic. Um, right. Do, do you see more of that uh, happening over the next few years? I do. I mean, I think it's like uh, we're all going through this period of time, this, just this uncertainty and um, everything that comes along with with living through a pandemic. I I chose not to make the pandemic part of my story because I think there was enough. <laughs> this book has enough uh, yeah. darkness, I would say, and scariness on its own. There's enough other things in the world. But I, yeah, I, I feel like for me, I read books now to escape from the pandemic. Not, I, I'm not ready to read about the pandemic because I'm still living it, if that makes right. sense. Well, you know, there was a time where if you wanted to avoid the news, you just wouldn't turn the TV on at six o'clock at night or, or, or mm-hmm. 10 o'clock or you wouldn't read the newspaper that day. And, it, it, you know, it's not like the news was going to chase you down and and make you. Uh, but now that we all have smartphones in our pockets and, you know, we have computers that are connected to the Internet all day, um, it, it's kind of unavoidable. We, we need a way to <laughs> unplug from from what's going on around us. I know. I love how you said that. The news chases you down. It really does chase you down. I mean, I hadn't even thought about it that way. I'm like, yeah, you don't even want to know what's whatever it is. And it's just like, it's like, have you seen this? Have you read this? You better watch out for that. Look out, look out. Yeah, you're right. And and it is. So like, to me, I think it's that feeling of uncertainty and angst that really fueled somebody's home. And yeah. And if, yeah. And to me, like reading is that place where you go to like, get lost in a story and forget about what's really happening. And I think that's why Netflix and all the streaming (laughs) sites are seeing such a huge surge too, because you can get lost in story and you don't have to wonder what's going to, what variants coming next. Right. A a minute ago, you, you touched on Tom Dean um, and and I had brought him up and and you told me kind of where his story began and how he um, uh, affects what we what we experience in the book, but tell me about Julie and her daughter, Jess. Um, who are they? Where do they come from? And and why did you connect so, so readily and so deeply with these characters? Yeah, so um, Jess, it was a small town Florida girl who moved to Orange County and kind of uh, became, uh, for lack of a better word, like a real housewife of Orange County. So she's, you know, she looks the part, she dresses the part, she's living in this huge mansion um, with her husband, Roger, but it's a completely loveless marriage. And when we meet her, she's decided that she can't stay in this gilded cage any longer and that she only has a year left with her daughter, who's a senior in high school, and she's got to try to make a true connection and and really try to show Jess who she really is. And so that's why she's decided to leave her marriage and why she's bought this house from the deans. And she's going to really make make a choice to make a change in her life. And that's when we meet her. And I, I think at the heart of this story is two moms. There's Sandy, who's married to Doug Dean, who's Tom Dean's stepmom. And then there's Jess and, or Julie, who's the mom of Jess, who's starting over as well. And it, it really is about these women and, and how 
their sense of belonging and sense of love as a mom is really the heart of the story. The idea of this gilded cage, um, as you said, um, is is almost more scary than uh, someone who is um, just being uh, physically abused and 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 held captive. And um, the the idea that someone is trapped in something that appears to be nice and comfortable and that 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 can be that can bring even more tension than than just a, a a person who's brutal to someone else. Has that been in your experience? Totally. And I, I think for Julie, I mean, she has everything money can buy, but she has no love in her life and she has lost her whole sense of self. Right. So she she can go and have like lunches that cost hundreds of dollars and she can buy thousands of dollars. She can do all of that, but she doesn't have any true bearing in her life anymore and she's lost everything that used to matter to her so I think that is a trap and to leave all of that is really hard I mean you get used to I, I mean I would imagine in Julie's case she's used to just not even thinking about what she's buying or spending or anything like that because she has so much but she's realized that she lost everything that has anything to do with her soul I think so yeah so it's a big step for her. It's a big, it's a big move. I wonder if that's not another situation that is kind of informed by the pandemic. I wonder if, if people kind of having more time on their hands and, and kind of forced to stay home in a lot of uh, areas uh, is, is causing people to, to think and, and to, to look at their situation and kind of get off the hamster wheel um, a little bit. And um you know, I, I, that you know that 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 may be another uh, thing that will come out of this pandemic is is these types of stories. I think you're right because if you're forced to all of a sudden examine who you live with, and um, as opposed to being able to distract yourself by going to charity events or, you know, all of the other things that that you might have been used to doing, it, yeah, your life looks a lot different. In in someone uh, somebody's home, uh, and and also with your previous book. Um, there's a there's a almost a claustrophobic sense w in reading it that you're you're very close to the characters you're very uh, immersed in in their uh, their situations and it feels um, just um, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a word op oppressive almost like it it's, it's very close. Um, is that something that you think about when you're writing the the kind of nearness of the um, uh, of, of the peril and uh, you know the way that we we just connect so deeply with these characters? Is is that something that you work on in in editing and in writing, or is is it just does it just come out of your natural writing style? Well, I love first person um, narrators, so I think that brings you close to the character right off the bat. So that's, um, I guess to me, that's that's how I like to write. And so it will bring you close to them. And I, I appreciate the compliment because I do feel, especially with domestic suspense, I want you to get inside of these people's heads, even if they aren't 
particularly nice characters, <laughs> but maybe you'll see like a little redemption there. Some of the uh, men in this story are not good guys, but if you can, if you can go through a chapter with them and maybe try to see their point of view, maybe um, it, it adds to the tension, of course, but maybe it also adds to the depth of understanding too. So anyway, but I, I do like, I like to do first person and, and I think that maybe does bring it really close to home. Kara, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago um, uh, about the different options that are available to writers now for publishing. And, and you, you said, you know, whether you're traditionally published or you're, you're self-publishing or any or either, uh, even if you're you know, publishing with a vanity press. Um, how have you seen publishing change from because you do have this unique perspective that you you began in uh, in, in nonfiction and then switch over to. Uh, to writing uh, domestic thrillers, uh, novels, and and now you're publishing with with Thomas and Mercer, which is an interesting company of, on their own because they're owned by Amazon and they have this you know huge um, kind of marketing machine that they're able to to lean on and, and to help launch books and all. And they you know doing some fantastic work over there. Um, but how, how do you see you know from the unique vantage point that that you have? Um, how do you see the publishing industry right now and, and what's, uh, you know, how it's changing for writers and, and all of that good stuff? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting time for sure. I uh, and, and I have to say there to me, there are benefits from every different type of publishing. So, I mean, when I was self-publishing, I learned so much about algorithms and how to target target readers and like all, all of those kind of things that are really helpful to your career in general. Um, now with Thomas and Mercer, like you said, it's incredible the reach and the marketing. And that's one of the reasons they were so attractive to me. And that was before I knew there was going to be a global pandemic, but when they can use the power of Amazon to reach, reach readers right where they oh, yeah. are, it's, it's pretty powerful. It really is. And I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel so fortunate to be with them right now. It's a, it's kind of a perfect time for, for that. I think, um, I, I loved being with one of the traditional big, big dogs, I guess you call it. They, you know, I learned a lot there about, I guess like their, like the traditional publishing folks, they, they're just it's so legit, right? Bookstores love you. <laughs> Everybody, you know, everybody's like, wow, you're worth Harper Collins. That's amazing. So that's a whole different ride in, in and of itself too. So I, I think no matter where you find yourself, if you find yourself with a publisher, there's something you're going to learn um, so much. And, and there's just different marketing tools that they can apply depending on where you are. So I think that's what I've learned right now. And I, and I, with the supply chain issues and everything, that's, that's the scary thing to me to not uh, know for sure whether your book's going to be available when it's supposed to be published with Amazon. It's everything's been really smooth, but I have heard stories about that for other people who, you know, their hardcover isn't ready when their pub date arrives and those kind of things. So it's, it's, it's a tough time. Yeah, it's it's been really uh, interesting. We we've had some some folks just recently whose publication dates have changed because they can't get stuff from the printer, and um, you know you, you have to be willing to 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 be fluid. Um, yep, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yes, yes, flexibility is key yeah. in all of this in this business. I think yeah. 
on your website, you have a couple of books that you um, uh, have uh, for writers under under your you have a section on your website for writers. And one of those is called Real You for Authors, Eight Essentials for Women Writers. Um, what is that book about and, and, and why, uh, what do you, um, how do you see, um, that, that things are specific for women writers that, that you would want to address them? Yeah. So that's kind of what I did was I, um, I wrote romance for a couple of years and I was asked by the RWA, um, folks to give a talk in New York about, your personal brand and your author brand and how you can kind of maximize the two. And it was really just um, kind of a take on what I've been talking to women entrepreneurs around the country about. And it's really, and it applies to men too. I just happen to have like in my heart, <laughs> a uh, need to help women uh, realize their potential. I've always, my career has been marketing to women. So it's, but I did, I sold a lot of books to men too. So just saying that, but I like men, I have three boys and a husband. <laughs> But <laughs> I do think, um, you know, it's 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 um, it's important to know what your personal brand is, whether you're a real estate agent or a book author and using that personal brand to make a unique path for your books in the world, no matter who's publishing them, is kind of the message of that. And it is a free download. So, yeah, I'd love for people to check it out, men and women. And uh, yeah, so that's what I did. I kind of um, synthesized all of what I'd learned going around the country and talking to entrepreneurs and then what I learned in the book publishing world for the last 10 years. So that's what that's about. Excellent. We'll be sure to link that up in the show notes. Um, okay. Some Somebody's home is available everywhere today when you're hearing this. You can go grab it. Uh, there will obviously be links to to Amazon in the show notes where you can grab it uh, in Kindle edition or, you know, hold the physical paper in your hand and 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 read that way or go visit your local bookstore you can grab it everywhere um kara uh i know that the audiobook is releasing also have you gotten to hear any of the the pre-release yet yeah i got to hear a sample and it's so exciting the the great thing about audio is these actors just bring these characters to life it's so interesting from my perspective is having created them and then to hear a, a voice all of a sudden and it sounds perfect <laughs> like wow you know and and I get to hear the auditions beforehand and I mean they they'll screen them and say these are the people that we think would be great to bring it to life and it's it it always astounds me that it's like the perfect voice I love it I, w I was talking with someone the other day and and they kind of sheepishly said you know that they had listened to their own audiobook and and I was like of course you did that's you know it's like a it's like the book takes on a new life uh, and, and um, you know, hearing someone act it out is, 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 is surreal in a lot of ways, but it's kind of like its own entity, its own thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's so cool. I, I love it. And I mean, so many people, that's how they um, list or read books these days is, right. is through audio. And I actually I was just talking to a woman who she is dyslexic. And so she never enjoyed reading until audiobooks came around and she could actually access them easily. And now she's just I mean, she's she's one of the biggest readers I know. <laughs> she doesn't read a word. She just listens to audio, which is great. That is fantastic. Yeah. somebody's home available everywhere now when you're hearing this go grab it today use the links in the show notes or go visit your local bookstore or go to audible.com download the audiobook and, and listen to it that way 
Kara, I know we mentioned your website a minute ago with the the uh, the free book that you're offering there, but tell people where they can find you to to follow along for all the great stuff that you're doing. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I have an e-newsletter, of course, through my website, which is kararuda.com. And I have, um, I'm about to release some, uh, a prequel. So if you're signed up for my newsletter, you could get the prequel to somebody's home. It will be out in about a week and it's called Over the Edge. So that's kind of fun too. So some free content there. I'm also, you know, on social media, kararuda and, and yeah, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. So yeah. Excellent. Well, we're going to send everyone to see you and to pick up their copy of Somebody's Home. Kara, this has been so much fun chatting and catching up. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Hank. It's great talking to you again. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app, on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. Hedwig slipped into David's den, the circular reading room. A ladder of crude rungs protruded from the wall, remnant of its days as a grain silo. He pulled himself upward, rung by rung, until the bookcases and sofas were far below. Even if he fell and died, he didn't really care anymore. No, he did care. He couldn't die yet. She had to die first. That would make their divorce final, if she wanted it so much. Darkness enveloped him. He reached the top of the ladder and stepped off onto a catwalk of black mesh, lit only by the faint light of the four square windows that encircled the turret. From this perch he could see the exit she would use. He felt like an assassin, like Lee Harvey Oswald in the window of the Texas School Book Depository. But he wouldn't use a rifle, no. Rifles leave evidence. Rifles can be produced in court. Rifles can miss. He pulled back a shroud of burlap and opened the cardboard box he'd stashed up here earlier that day. He reached into it and withdrew the only murder weapon, the only magic bullet a Van Brunt could ever need. The gold lantern flashed in the moonlight. He held it up to the window. One if by land, two if by sea, he thought, and then it's time for a midnight ride. But it won't be Paul Revere, no... Not Paul Revere at all. He found the oyster knife at last. He lay his cupped palm sideways over the vent. Don't get blood on your Armani. And stabbed the blade into his palm. The blood came hot. He dripped it into the lantern, where the skull of the horseman waited to sip it like nectar. The reliquary glowed, and an incantation in Old Dutch appeared, shining from within the metal. It was time. Hedwig bent and whispered into the vents. Rise, headless, and ride. The letters vanished, and a cold white light burst from the thing. The skull wasn't just a skull anymore. It had gestated. Capillaries clung to it the way fine hair clings to the crown of a newborn. 
A thick, carotid artery moved with snake-like undulation, drinking blood from the pool at the base, pulling it upwards to circulate through scarlet vessels, through twisting coils, slurping the liquid greedily, the way little Zeph used to slurp strawberry Nesquik through a crazy straw. The blood pulsed and pushed into the nose, into the eyes, into the hollow cavity within the skull. But was it hollow, still? Hedwig didn't think so. He felt a mind growing there, something with a will to challenge his own. He fixed his gaze to the twin caverns of its eye sockets, speaking slowly and deliberately. Jessica Bridge. The death's head grin broadened, somehow, and a thread of black and green liquid, shiny as a horsefly's wings, trickled from the gap of a missing eye tooth. Only Jessica Bridge. Do you understand? He shook the lantern. Do you understand? The face lurched forward and struck the glass, leaving a red splash there. It wobbled and settled, smiling and nodding. Jessica Bridge, hissed the face. Yes, Hedwick raised the lantern a little. Jessica Bridge. The red face tipped backwards and the jaw cracked wide. Hedwick recoiled. Something pink and wet writhed inside that mouth. The nub of a new tongue, salivating as if it could taste the name. Jessica Bridge. Jessica Bridge. Jessica Bridge. Jessica Bridge. Jessica Bridge.